Hi everyone, welcome to another Wiser Wednesday, here today with Alison Coward. Really great to have you back, Alison. You're author of Workshop Culture, which is a, a new book you've had out, I think it's the last week, so you must Just be rushed off your feet. <laughs> Thank you, you for having me. Yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It was last week that it came out, so yeah, still in the launch haze. Yeah, I bet. And so yeah, you've been... Uh, Trying to get get around uh, as 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 many. Uh, did you do book signing? Like you, you I didn't know. I haven't done anything in person yet. Um, I think I'm going to just save that to the new year. Um, but yeah, I've done <laughs> I've done lots of kind of podcasts and um, lots of kind of a few a couple of LinkedIn lives as well. Oh, that's but, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, um, I've read I've read it and I loved it. So thank you for sharing it with the world. Um, uh, you know, just saying just before this, it, like. Yeah, it's 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 really concise. I love it's and that's hard to do. It's like you've got you've captured everything um succinctly and and you've you've written it it feels like you've written it knowing like who who it's for and what sort of change you want to make. But I'd like to hear more about that in a second. Um we yeah, we I guess we're we're you know, this is framed on the backdrop of maybe uh unwork shop like culture uh in the boardroom at open ai so it's quite interesting to see what's mm. um you know happening there in uh, in the world um yeah for those who don't know me i'm joe spotton and believe in a world of entrepreneurial success without burnout um if you're listening live then welcome to join the debate uh on in the comment section um so yeah look going back to that 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 first point alison um tell us like why you wrote the book and who's it for mm. and what change you hope it makes yeah, so the book is here. This is Workshop Culture, A Guide to Building Teams at Thrive. Um, and, you know, this book has been such a long time in the making. I had so many people like, when I published it saying, finally. And I was like, all right, you know, it takes a while sometimes to get your thoughts together. And I started writing it a while back because I had this um, this insight. Um, as I, I've facilitated a lot of workshops at Bracket. Bracket is, you know, all about team culture and a previous iteration of Bracket was a workshop facilitation agency. Um, I've always been really passionate about collaboration. And there was something that I was seeing happening in workshops that I was like, yeah, workshops are great. And you get all that collaboration and creativity when you're working in a team. Why are we saving it just for workshops? And like that's coming from someone who is a massive advocate of workshop facilitation. And so I started to kind of explore this concept called workshop culture, which was like taking what we see in workshops and making them a more permanent feature of our culture, not just waiting to our away days or waiting to these special events where we wait for, you know, our teams to be collaborative and creative and to have fun and to build trust, but to making, making that part of our, our culture because we actually need it. That's what our organisations need today. So there was that. And then I was also seeing when I did facilitate workshops with teams over a period of time. So I was doing a series of workshops. I saw that it not only changed the way they have, they, they work together in the session, but also it started to open up communication in between as well. So it was almost like coming from two ends. It was like, you want to see this more permanently. And if we run workshops more regularly, then that kind of stuff starts to happen as well. So I decided to kind of package it up in this book called Workshop Culture. And it's intended to be a really practical guide to collaboration because I think you know if you ask any founder any leader of a team 
whether collaboration is important and whether team culture is important. No one will say no. Everyone understands that it's important, but it's doing it, putting it in practice that is is challenging. It's this fuzzy concept that everybody loves to say and everyone likes to talk about how their teams are collaborative, but it can be a real challenge. And I wanted to make it a lot more tangible and a lot more accessible um, to more teams, team leaders, and actually people that are working in teams that want to bring more collaboration to the way that they work. No, amazing, amazing, and yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a convert, having um, worked in, uh, in, in like the startup world where there isn't that kind of collaborative culture. It's get coming, like get your head down, do your work, go home, mm. um, sort of siloed, and and to be honest, it it massively restricted like our ability to grow in the sense, you know, we didn't get beyond beyond eight or nine people because people would come in. Um, not really feel like they were sort of part of something and, and leave again. And so um, in, in the environment of consultancy, that was like a 12 year journey. In the first six years, we we didn't really like nail that. It was something that we mm. just didn't really get right. And the moment we started to share, because I guess what happens as a, as a sort of business leader or, you know, um, when you're, when you're in the kind of like founding team, or whatever, you're, you're in a situation where you sort of, you've, you've, keep all the problems like to yourself and, and you try and just make it like easy for everyone else. But actually what you're doing is like preventing other others from actually helping you to solve like problem solve. So mm. yeah, a huge shift like happened. Um, so I, I'm a massive com- convert, but it, it was a, it was really, um, it was very difficult, like, like transition to it. Mm. So, I mean, this book could accelerate that for, for people before we get into, I suppose, uh, like some of the challenges around trying to do it um can you explain sort of like what a team in flow like is mm. like if the goal is to try and get to that level um and as i keep finding most things point back to flow in life now um yeah, what, yeah. What is team in flow? like can you try and give a description I think the best way to describe it so when i facilitated workshops um and i know not all facilitators will agree with this but one of some of the most successful workshops i've run have literally been when like we've got to the end of it and the team almost like looks at me and goes oh you're here you know they've been so engrossed and engaged in what they're doing and making progress together they forget that there was someone that was kind of holding that space or designed that process for them and that's a really good I think an example of when you feel a team in a team is in flow um Mm. I think Keith Sawyer was the first person that that came up with um the idea of team flow so flow is a concept by itself um, and then Keith Sawyer explored that further into into group actually group flow that's what he called it and I guess the best way of kind of describing how he talks about group flow is like a sports team working really well together you know when they're just all really connected and they're just kind of you know everything just seems to be magic and they seem to be able to read each other's minds and so if you think of like maybe a sports that you love and you're observing a team and they played really well that might be them in group flow at the same time I don't quite like to compare like our teams at work to sports teams because I don't think we're ever in those kinds of situations we don't really work when we're in direct competition with another team and I like to look at like teams as like more like jazz bands in a sense and so when you if, nice. you, if you like jazz like I'm a big jazz fan if you've ever been to like a, a, a you know a jazz gig a particularly improvised jazz gig 
um, and you see that like everyone's really playing off of each other. Everyone kind of seems to be in their own world, but they're all really connected and everyone's yeah. got like their own role and it's clear what their own role is and they're celebrated for that role. At the same time, there's, there is like a whole that they're all like feeding into and playing off of each other. So that's a really good, I think a good way of a metaphor for, for group flow. Um, it, yeah. And then I think there was, um, well, actually I wrote it in the book, um, JJ Van Houten um, explored team flow even further. And he talks about um, the, um, there were, there were different, um, examples of, of team flow where an individual is working on a task individually that is contributing to a team project and um, when an individual gets um, energy from the team dynamic and then when you've got a, a team working together on the same thing at the same time which is kind of like a workshop so there's lots of sort of examples of like how we can define um, group or team or we can um we can experience group or, or team flow, but that's ultimately where we want to get to. We want, I mean, this is why the book is called, you know, teams that thrive, right? Mm. We want workplaces where everyone is doing their best work and feels happy and engaged. And then that leads to higher productivity and creativity and, you know, performance for the business. Um, and they do kind of work in tandem with each other. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. It's, um, and I guess like if you can take that sort of workshop, uh culture like into the business what would you say is like the out outcome what what's what's happening as a result of because that you talk about bottling up the energy at the end of a mm. you know workshop and then if you can only bottle it up and release it into the business yeah. and like really know it really resonates with me that that um you know that line so yeah what 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 happens what mm. what's the well what i mean if we think about what it is that we're trying to bottle up, you know, that 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 feeling where people feel really energised, they feel that their time has been really well spent, they've learned something, they feel connected to their team members, they've not only like had a good experience, but they've produced good results. Um, and that energy that you have and that feeling and that motivation, as I say, it's not just about the content that you produce, but it's about how people feel about their work. And if we start to change the way that people feel about their work, then actually people stay at jobs longer. They perform more highly. Um, you know, that has an impact on the business performance. Um, and I mean, sort of the bigger idea, and I sort of really talk about this. I mean, I mentioned it at the beginning of the book, but really much more towards the end of the book is actually if we, what if we do go to work and we see work as a place that gives us energy rather than depletes it. And I think the other caveat to say is just to um, go off piece a, a little bit is that this is not about running workshops all day, every day, because it's you can't do that. It's ex exhausting, but it's about taking mm -hmm. those those principles. So if we do have workplaces that give us energy, we feel our time is spent, we feel that our contribution is valued um, on a, you know, on a more personal level, we, you know, we come home from work or we, you know, close a laptop and we leave work with a different energy. We don't leave feeling, oh gosh, you know, I've got to go back and do that tomorrow. We leave thinking, oh, do you know what? I've had a good day. How does that change the way that we interact with the people around us? And mm. if it gives us energy, what does that, give us space to do in our own lives and for the people around us so this is part of like you know making work better but making work better in the service of contributing to you know it sounds quite lofty but a better society essentially 
Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's not for you know. This is I, you know. It's this. I would say that it's it's not every. This is book is written with the knowledge economy in mind, right? So there are lots of different industries that don't work in that way, and it may not be possible for them to work in that way. So this is very knowledge, knowledge industry, knowledge economy focused. Yeah, 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 and, and I might come come back to that. You know, a little bit later. Um, yeah, you talk about is it David. Marquette, so you were saying, don't, he says, don't give them instructions, but give them intent. Is that a kind okay. of, you know? Um, yeah, I've not heard that actually, but I, yeah. That's... Uh, okay. I, yeah. Not sure where I picked that up from, but I, yeah, that was, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's almost the concept of not, um, well, basically not, um, you give, given the challenge, you're setting the sort of like the, the sort of stake in the ground to like where you're trying to get to, but like mm. you want people to like gather around and then work out how to get 100%. to it's not what it's like in a very early stage startup normally mm. it's normally kind of barking people up the hill and just trying you know you know trying just to get like stuff to happen and 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 you know it's not brilliant when it's like that but that is mm. often how it sort of starts out in in, in my experience yeah and then you've got to kind to of try and shift yeah we do have to balance that you know i mean again I, it's very new to me but there is i i point to that um the the phrase or the saying actually i think it's a, a proverb you know if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together and i guess early stage startups are all about speed right at the beginning you know they do yeah. need to make things happen very quickly and so the whole idea of um you know slowing down to build that collaborative environment can feel like a barrier although in the long term it's going to be you know, much more rewarding in, you know, both from a personal and a, uh, a business perspective. So it can fit, there's a real tension there. And I really do appreciate that. And, you know, I also have a lot of empathy with, with our leaders of today, because there is a lot of pressure on delivery. There's so much to do. And this does feel like an extra thing to do. And we need to take more time. The irony of it is, is that when you do spend time on this kind of stuff, it does make things easier further down the line but it's giving yourself the permission to take that time out which can feel so so difficult mm. yeah yeah it, it's it, it's sort of counterintuitive but it, mm. it creates time and creates energy and creates um like new thinking um but there is like a transition isn't there because mm. effectively you're starting to you're asking people to use a, a new muscle that they haven't necessarily used 100%. if you're going from like a hierarchical structure to a more sort of happy and engaged and therefore, you know, creative and productive. Um, so what, do, how, what, how do you see that journey taking place? And especially, you know, there's a tricky thing for like founders or CEOs where to some extent, the behavior that they've had and the, the kind of determinedness and just like knowing that they're right and just going for it is what's created the business. And then you kind of, having to say along the lines of you know what got you here might not get you there you might yeah. need either a different style or or some some someone or something that like buffers that behavior you know you need you almost need to dampen the behavior or because sometimes people that isn't how they think or potentially mm. could change to become you know a facilitator very different skill of being a facilitator yeah. So yeah, let's let's dig into that a bit about the realities of um, how to start to introduce this. If a if a business, you know, so I tend to work with like scaling or hyperscaling like businesses and CEOs, and it this is trick. This is a tricky mm. transition for them. What what was what's your um, 
yeah what's your thoughts on that transition in in a business like how 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 to map that yeah i think you know coming back to your phrase um that you just mentioned it's about the intent like the the like the core intent has to be there and you have to really know like why you're doing this and believe in it um like there's a lot i mean you know i've been running literally on linkedin it just reminded me of my 14 year anniversary of running bracket and that's how long i've been kind of harping <laughs> on harping on about collaboration and in that time that's i've true. seen you know particularly when i started how much collaboration was a buzzword and people would just say it without really meaning it or understanding like defining what that meant for themselves um and i think that's kind of key having that that real belief in like the reason I want this environment or this, you know, to build this type of team culture is because I truly believe that it's the best way to go. And I think mm. without that, um, I mean, you can get so far, but I think it, it will, it will just mean that some of the challenges that you might experience on making that transition will be a lot harder and you may kind of give up sooner if you don't have that belief, that core belief. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah because it doesn't always necessarily it might get worse before it gets better like 100%. in that transition <laughs> yeah 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 it really does yeah. and you know there will be there will be challenges it's not it's not you know it's not a tidy but like any kind of change and especially when change involves other people it's not necessarily going to be a smooth ride um in fact it will be it's unlikely that it's going to be a smooth ride and so you really do need to have that like clear vision in place so that when those barriers when you do experience those barriers or those setbacks you're like no this is the right journey this is the right journey Mm. this is the right way to go yeah 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 it's almost that shift from you know uh, unconsciously incompetent to then consciously Mm. incompetent isn't it like if you when you try something new that's a really that's kind of high flight risk of like not actually pushing through to the uh consciously competent stage um mm. so um yeah um what's your um yeah what what examples can you give us in terms of why like a happy and engaged team is is quite likely to pro- to b- become a creative and productive team what's what's the um the connection the link there mm, mm. yeah i mean Again, I sort of have this diagram in the book that it's almost like a virtuous circle. Um, it's like if you have one. And the reason I, I talk about that is I think it kind of relates back to what you were saying at the beginning, is that often people believe that if you want high performance, i.e. going fast and like delivering, 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 then that is at the expense of a team that feels engaged and is motivated. I mean, you kind of gave the example there. There is a tension. It's like you're either moving fast and like people don't feel connected and, you know, they're sort of hammering out tasks and there's possibly even a toxic environment versus mm-hmm. an environment where it feels a little bit slower, but everyone is like happy and loving each other and it's all kumbaya. Like I really want to break that um, that image that like they're mutually exclusive, i.e. high performance doesn't mean happy and engaged actually they Mm. they are connected and it is you know it does feel like you're slowing down a little bit and you're taking that that time but if you if you strive towards that 
happiness and that engagement, like creating a team where they can do their best work, then you will get them to do their best work. And then by sort of nature of them doing their best work, you're leading to more happiness and engagement. So it's you can start on either side of those things, um, whether it's like high performance or whether it's, you know, engagement, happiness and engagement. And by going for one um, with a view of the other, then you will by nature get the other. If you just go for high performance, then, you know, you're going to miss out on that kind of collaborative nature. If you just go for happy engagement, you might miss out like it's not this is not just about creating like a nice environment to work. It's about balancing people and business. Yeah, 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 really interesting. I, I think it's, you know, g- going back to flow, like ambition, especially like ambition, like at the, at the top can create an imbalance in flow. And, you know, mm. flow in, a sim- in simplistic terms is when the challenge like meets the skill. So yeah. <laughs> if we try, if we overstep the challenge, we kind of end up forcing like the business or like, you know, team players into sort of more of an anxiety like state. And if we don't... Mm have enough challenge actually it's it's a, can be a bit boring so yeah. we're always trying to balance aren't we with the team that we've got and mm-hmm. what what we're trying to achieve um yeah okay no it's really interesting what what are some of the questions like a leader must ask themselves like if you know to see if they're ready to collaborate and um, well i mean also like you mentioned that can be quite a vulnerable that transition can be quite vulnerable because it means not only Um, kind of like finding creating the conditions or trying to create the environment for your team to collaborate it means you as a leader be also becoming more collaborative and I think I've got some questions in the book actually so I sort of have a bit of a um, like a reflection box are you ready to collaborate so it's what I said before you know I truly believe that collaboration is the best way of getting things done in my company not because I've told to or can't avoid it so that core Mm. belief has to be there um, and then, you know, I'm ready to open up various aspects of my work for input, input from others. Um, as a leader, and um, the traditional view as a leader is a leader has all the answers and knows everything and is there to make the decisions and tell people what to do. Whereas, you know, and I think we've kind of started to move away from that kind of notion of a leader already. Um, but this takes it kind of a step further. It's like, actually, I don't have all of the answers. And can you help me mm. can you input yeah. can you share some ideas with help me? Is, is, is again a, a muscle that's not been used sometimes yeah. uh, for certain leaders so yeah be, being okay um you know with saying i don't know is mm. that in itself is an is a is it can be a massive shift within 100%. a team culture yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And as I say, I appreciate how difficult that is. I mean, I find it difficult. You know, I'm writing about this stuff, and I think the reason I empathise is because I go through all of this stuff myself. You know, it's not that yeah. I'm the pinnacle of someone who creates a workshop culture. I have these tensions in my work as well. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, uh, yeah. And as as we often find, sometimes the advice like we give others is the advice we need to hear ourselves as well. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's that's generally like I always find that so um yeah you you talked a bit about rhythms um and so yeah I imagine like my my experience of like scaling businesses is it's kind mm-hmm. of an s curve and then there's s curves within s curves so right. understanding the um understanding the rhythms kind of of your organization you talk about um sort of rhythms and 
I think you, you talk about rhythms and rituals. Um, yeah, routines and rituals and meeting rhythms. Routine. Yeah, right, so yeah. meeting rhythms. So, um, I mean, this is all of the, the same thing. Do you know what? I was actually just thinking about this. And, um, you know, I think we, we, again, relating to sort of the whole concept of workshop culture, kind of need to move away from using our annual away days as the sole time that we do team building. Yeah, um, yeah, and that is excuse me, that is the kind of pervasive view that oh yeah we'll do our kind of team building and connection and the camaraderie stuff and the cohesion stuff at our annual or even like six monthly away days. And my argument is that actually yeah, not to say that those away days aren't important, but we need to be building our teams as we're working together because mm. the way that you know our organisers how quickly our organizations are changing um how uncertain everything is now you know we can't be leaving that kind of team building aspect just to you know when we feel like we have time to allocate it allocate to it so building meeting rhythms which are like ways of having um you know identifying the different types of discussions that you have and when you need to have them and designing those discussions so that they meet the purpose of what you need to discuss as well as building in routines and rituals that keep your team connected and those routines and rituals can be super work related so they can be like you know a project retrospective like making sure that every time you close something you have a retrospective that's kind of a a ritual or it could be sort of more of a, I guess, uh, um, a routine of like how you kick off a project. Um, it could be that every now and again, or, you know, at, at particular times you have a, um, you know, a purely social conversation over a, like a work related conversation. It could be like sort of how you celebrate team members. It could be how you allocate time to ensure that team members get to know each other. Um, mm. through, you know, I know that during the pandemic, um, lots of companies started off like doing um, like the randomised coffees and um, where they would like pair people from t different teams to have just go and like a 30 minute chat, not, not work related, just a 30 minute chat to get to know each other. Um, yeah, so things yeah. like that, you know, that that are kind of, you know, in our minds of, look, it's not just about the delivery of the work. It's the bits in between that make that work delivery easier the relationships that we build how we communicate with each other how we relate to each other those aren't separate to the work they are the work yeah 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 okay and you and you um yeah you sort of mentioned about having sort of synchronous and asynchronous kind of like patterns as mm. well within an organization yeah. can you explain a bit more about that yeah so i think this was something that um i really saw the potential of during the pandemic because you know like many other um companies like most of my work pre-pandemic was in fact all of my work i'd say 99 percent of it was in person um and then obviously during the pandemic it shifted all to online and where i would usually run a full day workshop with a team we were just too exhausted to do a full day session online together it mm -hmm. just didn't work so we would chop up those workshops over a period of time and then I was like actually you know these aren't kind of you know discrete sessions that all add up to a whole this is a series of sessions with space in between them that we can also utilize i.e the asynchronous bit so the synchronous is when we're all together at the same time and then the asynchronous um, is when obviously we're not together um, but we can still be working on things that contribute to 
the work that we need to do together. And I really saw that as an opportunity during the pandemic. It's like that space is, doesn't need to be default. It can actually be specifically designed to support those times that we are together as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I just, again, it's it just kind of makes sense. You have these... Um, these these touch points these moments that people mm. can come together like go off do do their bits and right. you know that kind of agile yeah it's cr- mm. it's creating it's creating the opportunity for touch points but equally allowing and i and i love the mm. jazz analogy it's allowing people to do the thing in in their way in their style but like, yeah. the, the, the whole is you know obviously greater than the sum of its parts and people yeah. are, feel like they contribute and I think, you know, as I say, the asynchronous thing is I hadn't seen how much of an opportunity there is, to, there was to be intentional about that. Because we often like, you know, even if we think about the analogy of workshops, we kind of like leave a workshop and we might have actions and things to do. And then we just kind of expect that it's going to happen and you know people will do their tasks and they'll have something to report back on but what if we actually actively created something in between the next time we got together that would facilitate that i.e whether it's an online space whether it's checking kind of reminders or whether it is kind of micro discussions that different people within the team have to keep that momentum going yeah yeah what what do you see is like the whiteboard uh, and the post-it notes um, mm. in a workshop culture that, you know, isn't in a workshop like, you yeah. know, we're talking about on the day to day. How does a how do you capture that mm. opportunity to sort of reflect and, in, 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 you know, sort of jam with other like team members? Like what where 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 do you see that in, in a in a in a team that is working really well? Um, yeah um well yeah I mean it again it comes it not again it comes down to the team so as a team you will use tools and um methodologies and frameworks that will work for your team I mean I guess the simplest way is an online whiteboard like something that captures everything in this in the same place um that people can come back to but it could also just simply be a google doc you know that captures the conversation and people you know work on that collaboratively it doesn't have to be something as kind of um you know I love Miro and I love Mural and all those kind of tools and they 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 definitely work and it could also be something like a you know a collaborative word doc or a spreadsheet depending on what that team needs to work on and what they need to do but the whole point is having like a central point where that where information is transparent where content is kept where it's transparent where the people can check in and so that reduces the chances of like bottlenecks and people holding information in their heads um and you know holding things up because you need to consult somebody in order to get you know to move through the to the next stage of the project yeah yeah no great and like in terms of um change agents like where mm. do you tend to see them coming from in an organization who, yeah who, who sort of steps into that i think that it, the thing is is that essentially we're kind of most of us are in some ways change agents like if we're trying to improve something or we see an opportunity for people to do something in a different way then essentially we're a change agent um and so they can come from anywhere i mean of course within the whole workshop culture um framework and that concept it's 
it's written from the view of someone who's leading a team. And when they've decided that they want to change their team culture, they've become a change agent. And it's not just about, oh, you know, I want us to collaborate better. And then it happens. It's kind of understanding all the nuances that come with um, taking a group of people through a process of change. But similarly, it could be anyone on the team. So, you know, I mean, I ran a workshop a few weeks ago when someone was talking, they weren't necessarily a team leader, but they were talking about this meeting that they were having that everybody could tell just wasn't working. Um, but no one had kind of stepped up to say, this isn't working, let's change it. And so in that moment, that person decided to become like the change agent, the person that would say that let's explore different ways of running this meeting, even if, you know, even if we don't need this meeting, but we need like different variants of it let's explore that together so in that moment that micro moment again that person is a change agent yeah yeah no awesome um you, you talk about um almost asking for permission at the start of of you know don't if we look at actual workshops like mm. asking for permission to go off piece that there's something about being open to you know like going with like what what's unfolded in front of us in in, in a in a, uh, a workshop yeah mm. that's I, I really like that you said well you isn't there like you you, you obviously talked about the team forgetting that you're you're there but um yeah. um yeah is there something around also like having a few frameworks in your back pocket to know when to like shift and to 100%. know yeah I mean if we're sort of getting into the tactical process of running workshops one of the things that allows you to go off piste as a facilitator is when you have spent time up front designing um mm. you know so this is one of the tensions of being a facilitator is that you will have your workshop structure that you've designed carefully meticulously <laughs> painstakingly and at the same time in the session you have to be prepared to be able to let that go if it's not working or if the team needs to go in a different direction so I guess that's kind of you know when we sort of map that against a leader it's about um an agility um sort of being able to recognize being sensitive to what's happening in the room at the time and then adapting to what your team is saying or what your team needs um and going going with the flow all in the same all at the same time of having that structural in the back of your mind because you designed it for a reason right you knew that the team needs to get to a certain point so knowing that that purpose is clear allows you to go off peace because you can always come back to that yeah 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 look I mean I, I often find that you yeah you have a kind of sometimes working around coal but uh you know meth uh, model and so on but like sometimes yeah when you start to really get under the hood in a in a, in part of a of a of a, of a session like it's mm. you, you really need to stay like if you get if you when you get to that space that you you have to hold it there like and you don't want to like just move on because that was in the um the agenda Absolutely. exactly there's a there's a point when you're like oh, okay right we, it's sort of like it's weird that suddenly you get this breakthrough like there's a breakthrough in I mean and really what we're talking about here is is trust and like a safe mm. space and building that psychological safety that people like suddenly feel that they can say what's what's really on mm. their you know, on their mind definitely that, that's yeah. like really really powerful I worked with a team a few weeks ago and 
you know, again, had sort of had this structure in mind and we, part of the session it felt was, I mean, you don't want to stay, stay in this for too long when you're facilitating, but there was a catharsis and there was a catharsis that the team needed to go through to feel that they were able to get everything off their chest and they were heard before we could move on, that like we couldn't get through to kind of like the progress and the actions and the like moving forward until everyone had felt like they got everything off their chest because otherwise they would have felt rushed and they would have felt that we hadn't got everything out on the table. Um, yeah. And that completely messed up my work, my workshop <laughs> outline, like completely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But mm. it was more important than your structure. Exactly, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love it. It's it's it's, it's super interesting that that mm. point. Like talking about trust, like what is you know, um, are there particular things that you might do at the start of a session, or mm. h- how do you start to open up, you know, people's willingness to 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 share and yeah. I mean, I think it's it's also very that's very team dependent because you know you sometimes get a sense with a team where they are a little bit further on in that journey. And so you can open up with kind of something more vulnerable a lot sooner. But when there's a team that experiences, is experiencing a lot of conflict and there's a lot of mistrust and there's, um, you know, lack of transparency, then personally, I feel that you need to build up to that. Because I think any attempts to do that, to build that trust quite quickly or to, you know, get them to open up too quickly will just result in resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to find sort of little ways of getting them to open up um, I don't know sort of a, a question that is like not personal but um, not as I say not super personal not super vulnerable but it gives a little bit of an insight into perhaps their way of working or you know um, something that is like work related that feels separate to them that they feel that they can you know share and then you build on that um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, there's lots of sort of different sort of things that you could use, like checking questions, um, exercises that that work up. But as I say, it's kind of assessing where that team is in the journey. I mean, we have an assessment that we use at Bracket, which um, you know, according to a scale, puts people into either they need to fix their culture, they need to build their culture, or they sustain their culture. If a comp- if a team needs to fix their culture, then we're not going to go straight into kind of like you know, open up your deepest, darkest secrets because they're just, that team is just not anywhere near there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of need to do a lighter pass across like models. And do you have other models or like go to, like are there things that you, Mm. um, you know, or things you've developed that you you were really sort of powerfully believe in? And Um, Do you know what? I mean, I think one of the things that is always quite powerful with a team um and I guess it you know it does come back to the 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 framework is the alignment piece um always starting there and alignment from a point of view of getting people to step out of the day-to-day like often one of the reasons why teams are experiencing conflict or challenging relationships is um and it's not exclusively but one of the reasons that this can happen is that people are so focused on like what's in front of them um and the tasks that they need to get done that they're not kind of stepping up and seeing what they're doing as part of a bigger whole and part of a system and i think one of the most powerful things that you can do when you've got a team 
that is so focused on like the next thing is to give them the opportunity to take a step back and look up and out and like, way into the future. Um, and that's a really good way of connecting them. It's like, well, what is it that we're here for? And often like on the ground where people are working or feel like they're working at cross purposes or experiencing conflict, they realise that actually they, they both kind of in the long term want the same thing. Mm, mm, um, yeah, yeah. You've got this with, you know, teams that have got like a very strong purpose um, or particularly a social purpose, right? Um, it's not necessarily about them individually. It's about kind of solving this bigger challenge or this bigger issue. And often on the day-to-day -day basis with all of our challenges and all of our tasks and all things we need to do, it's very easy to forget that. Yeah. And so one of the most powerful things you can do is remind teams of like why they're there and doing the work that they're doing yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. It kind of reminds me of the, um, so like, you know, trust, like, what do they trust? Do they trust that the, the facilitator or the leadership have the company's needs at hand? Or are they thinking more about, you know, what's in it for me? What's the, do they trust that they've yeah. got the individual's needs at hand? And there right. can sometimes be a conflict. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, and like, you know, in fairness, we're all thinking, what's in it for me? That's the nature of kind of individuals at the same time. Um, but we can't, like in a collaborative environment, we can't only just be thinking, what's in it for me? We need to be thinking, okay, how is what I'm doing part of a greater whole? And how does what I'm doing connect to a bigger picture and to other people's work as a mm. result of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... It's, it's, it's really interesting. And, and, you know, I think you, like, you, you start to get accountability mm. once you've kind of got the, the, once you start to, to build trust. Um, what, what do you, in terms of accountability, what, ha, what do you see happening in a sort of workshop culture? Like, do you see, you know, what are the, um, what are some of the behaviours or what, what do you, what do you see that's like different to, to, to before they started to adopt the, the, Mm. so the the accountability thing is i guess i think it's the biggest difference is the shared accountability um and i guess, i guess it relates to what we were speaking to before that accountability that shared accountability based on the bigger picture so you know everyone can have their individual goals right but when those individual goals connect to what the whole team need to achieve then there's a bit more of a push to perform because you don't want to let your teammates down yeah. um and then also that accountability of keeping each other account like that that vulnerability that is created and that support that is created and that ability to keep each other account accountable as well not just in um what it is that you're delivering but also your team behaviors um so you know part of the the alignment piece is yes as a team, we need to be clear on what it is that we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to deliver um, and what we're trying to do. But we also need to align on what how we need to be together as a team and what are our values and what are our behaviours and how does that translate into actions? Um, I mean, mm -hmm. again, you've seen this, you've probably seen this in your work, is that if, uh, you know, to, to take that next step up, um, you know, as a founder, like what got you here won't get you there. And it's not just about doing different things it's about changing your behavior as a founder um, and changing your mindset as a founder from going to you know from your first 
I don't know, six figures to seven figure, like how you are as a six figure business is very different to how you need to be at a seven figure business. Um, and it's yeah. keeping, you know, as a team, um, if you're trying to do something or achieve something new, then you need to behave differently and keeping each other accountable to what those values are um, is another aspect of the, the workshop culture. Yeah. Okay, great. And look, um, if you, um, you know, like in amongst all of this, it's sort of that we should always be outcome driven. And if, mm. if you're depending on where you work in the organization may change what sort of outcome <laughs> people are looking for. But uh, if, if we think about it more from, from the top of the organization, there's obviously like pressures to hit certain targets yeah. and to achieve a certain output with, with the team that might be a step up from, you know, what was achieved in the last quarter or the last, uh, last year, mm. that, that sort of strategic thinking, how do you, how have you seen um, organizations bring in um, important over urgent as a mindset? What's a what's the, one of the mm. best ways you've seen companies do that? Important over urgent. Um, so you're you're talking about the Eisenhower matrix, aren't you? So sort of strategic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, just to sort of give some context, um, in the book I talk about um, you know the the Eisenhower matrix and how a lot of this stuff relating to what we were talking about at the beginning. A lot of this stuff is important but not urgent. So strategic thinking falls into the important um, but not urgent. Like the urgent and important is always going to take our attention. Um, mm. And, you know, things like working on your business and strategic thinking and the stuff around culture is important, but it's not like, the, you know, it's not, we don't need to put out a fire. Um, so one of the things with the, the Eisenhower matrix is, I mean, it sounds very simple in practice, sounds very simple, but it's difficult in practice is to schedule time for it, schedule time for that strategic thinking, because you're not going to do it naturally um mm. but to make sure that you allocate out that time and it's the same with your team you know this stuff doesn't the thing that takes our time and takes our attention on a day-to-day basis the things that we need to do and deliver and you know our task lists um we have to carve out time for team culture and it's interesting because by the nature of carving out time initially over time what you're designing is you're starting to embed it into your work so mm. that it doesn't become this sort of big thing that you need to spend time doing it starts to mm. become sort of how you work um mm. naturally yeah 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 i think you mentioned someone uh implemented like 15 minute a week reflection on personal mm. progress yeah yeah so i think one of the things that we don't do enough um in our teams and in our work um, and, you know, I say this not from an entrepreneurial point of view, I'd say this from an organisational point of view, is um, reflection time. You know, I think when you're working for yourself, um, you know, you, you kind of, I mean, I do it myself, like I have a weekly meeting where I always reflect on the past week and I plan the week forward and I stop and think, what am I learning? Um, but even, you know, even I, like saying that, like, it, it's an enjoyable task, but I actually do it on a Sunday because um, it's like you know it's something that I like to do exactly I'd like to do it but I actually do it on a Sunday you know one of the things I think we we have a trouble a problem with in our organizations is actually having um kind of approved time for reflection it almost feels like it's something that we do we do need to do on our own time or outside of like whatever your hours are Monday to Friday nine to five or you know it's not something that you can say 
I'm blocking out my diary like 3 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon to reflect on, you know, how my month's gone. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think, you know, that's part of learning, right? That's part of the continuous improvement that we do need to reflect on our on our work. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, I mean, you know, and it comes back to sort of the, the routines and rhythms of an organisation. Like, I really... Um, from the time when like when 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 we met from like you know the red days I've, I've mm. always loved um like the sort of fry yay model is is just great to get the team together and just like talk about things that they we can celebrate from the week I think it's yeah. a it's such a powerful um such a powerful model just to to get uh people to stop mm. um and and come together and you know if, if you can create that as a um as a uh sort of ritual something that, that that is embedded into the business then that that is in itself a, a, yeah. a, an opportunity to reflect and you know and celebrate isn't it like we don't we don't celebrate enough yeah, um yeah. And especially together just head down keep keep things going so absolutely um, um yeah are there are other sort of practical tools anything um you, you know the double diamond is um mm-hmm. Is, is is really powerful because people love well it depends on how you're built right i, I yeah. think because i'm a, an engineer i love to um you know converge uh right. to the answer and using models like that let you s- encourage you to sit with the unknown for longer and to, yeah. to diverge and to allow for more options to to, to um you know come into view as it were so it's mm. a, it's a it's a real um again it's a muscle if, if you're used to just having answers and if you're more in a coo type role like the integrator role rather than like visionary role in in the startup well then you know the ceo role is more of an infinite looking out and has to keep like the antennae out looking at everything mm. if you're in the like kind of next level on like c-suite or whatever they're more finite roles aren't they they have yeah. the the, the, the the thing that they do is in their title, like so. You, it, it's a lot more kind of stru- structured, which what is why it's so hard to to kind of step into CEO role, and, mm. and it's a very different like sort of place. But um, yeah, but the, obviously that the double diamond like creates that um opportunity to hold the the unknown yeah. for longer. So Should I just explain what what that is for yeah, people please, like please do, yeah, yeah. So the 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 design, so in um. Uh, workshop culture I talk about a lot about using sort of design tools um, to design the way that you work and one really good example I mean there's lots of sort of frameworks out there one really good example is the design double diamond which is almost like two phases of divergent and convergent thinking so divergent the first thing you know we've got the tendency to you know have a identify a problem and then go straight into um, solutioning and trying to find the answers where actually you need to spend a little bit more time in that problem space. I'm like, really making sure that you've got the right problem. Are we solving the right problem? Do we really understand the problem first? And then defining it. And then once you really have clearly defined that problem, then you move into another divergent phase of thinking, which is, well, now let's explore lots of different solutions, not trying to find the one right answer, but we're just exploring, you know, what could be um and you know like you say being expansive and then yes you do need to move into another phase of convergent thinking to kind of decide what you're gonna um take forward or what you're gonna experiment with or what you're gonna try out um and it's just a really useful way of remembering that the creative thinking process is not just about like 
generating ideas and leaving things open or going straight to the answer. We need both of those sides, the divergent and the convergent, and we need to protect the divergent and the convergent thinking because if we if we're not specific about which phase we're in then they 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 interfere with each other and they make that thinking process really really difficult and it causes conflict as well when someone's kind of you know generating ideas and someone's trying to converge then it's the dynamic there is it's just not going to work yeah it's so it it's so interesting having experienced it where it's been like a massive problem in in Mm. a startup because yeah. of just the style of, um, you know, the style of like business partners, like mm. a, approach, which is to throw in loads of ideas when you're way too far down the design right. process. Right. And that, that, that is yeah. like so frustrating. So frustrating as is like when you're at the beginning of that process and someone trying to close you down and that's why you yeah. need, you know, that's exactly what it is. You know, I think people often when they think about the, like the divergent thinking and brainstorming, they often go straight to shutting ideas down, but it's just as frustrating at the other end when you're kind of getting close to delivering something or closing something down and someone's like, Oh, what about this? What about that? What about this? It's just like, Ugh. and that's why you need to be clear about, each stage I mean you know it's going to be messy it's never going to be as linear as that but as as, if you're aware of it and you can try and stay as close to it as possible then it just makes the process easier yeah amazing no and hey look you know things could could be very different like for organizations if they knew that like this existed and there was Mm. even knowing that there's a it could be as simple as like look, I know we're in when I know we're close to the end here, but I have got another idea. So like that self awareness yeah. of saying, look, do you know what? I know that this is going to be frustrating and annoying, but I do really need to share this idea with you. You know, so it's yeah. I guess it's even that sort of that caveat, you know, caveat beforehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I yeah, and then, mm. and then, but then, what we always come back to is that people don't feel like they've got time mm. to, to 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 just spend that um yeah a bit more collaborative time up front before you, you're kind of getting to a stage where it's not the, the pressure you know the the important and urgent elements mount and once you yeah. start to get once it comes too far up you know the the levels then people shortcut you know you, mm. you shortcut the decision making process um and and that you know that can be frustrating like within mm. team when you have senior leaders who want to keep like this the the decision open because mm. they get more information which allows them to make a better decision yeah but that's much harder for the people that then have to go and deliver it and so yeah, that, that yeah. is like huge in organizations it's so you know working in a framework or structure that uh, allows people to know which stage they're in mm. would be so powerful and, and well, at least would... the tensions exist just like yeah. even being aware that those tensions exist and then normal tensions makes makes those conversations a little bit easier um so we, yeah we, we're approaching the end here now um what would you say to leaders who are like listening to this and thinking mm. okay i can kind of see i mean and it, it's it's really tricky because like people will start to say, well, like, can we put numbers to this? Or what, what can you, what could, you know, how good is this? Like how, what, how is this going to change like a, a, a business? All I can say is from shifting from a kind of non-collaborative culture to a collaborative culture, it took us six years to get to like nine people 
and um uh, you know I can't mm. remember turnover now but like it, it, but in the next kind of like three to four years we then went to 50 people yeah yeah so I mean- it was rapid and we actually went you went from 2.8 to 8.9 mil turnover in one year that we were like we started to like implement this this way of thinking so they're they're solid numbers on mm. like actually trying to bring people into like problem solving in your organization so yeah i mean i think sort of one of the i think that's that's key actually is this isn't going to happen overnight and not expecting it to happen overnight. Like, I think that's another thing, you know, I'm like this and I think, you know, founders are like this is that they sort of have an idea and then they want it to like, you know, they might pick up my book or another book and they're like, right, we need to do this. Like everyone's going to yeah. be doing a workshop culture tomorrow. It just doesn't happen like this because we're in the business of change and it's changing people. And so I think the thing is, you know, to your point around numbers is start small, start like, you know, have a goal in mind that like have a vision of where you want to get to, but start with the smallest step. And if it's important to you, which it is to many founders, find something that you can measure so you can do straight away, but you can measure the impact of it. And, you know, once you can measure the impact, then you've got buy-in to do more of that. But trying to do it all at once, you you know, you're just too many moving parts. You're going to frustrate people. It's going to be confusing. You're going to experience burnout before you've even made like progress. So starting with something small, like, like, you, like I say, that you can measure um, and people can feel um, that there's progress being made then gives you kind of the license to try the next thing and the next thing um, and then you know you might get to a point where it's like okay we've tried these few things now let's try these five things together because you've built that trust and that you know like you, you've been saying you've kind of built that muscle um, to try multiple things at once but you can't do that straight up like go from zero to a hundred yeah 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 and again you're sort of edging up like the flow of the yeah. challenge versus it's the that skill, curve as well skills. Yeah. Your skills are like not there when you first start to try to push in this direction. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, so uh yeah, like I, I like I always draw a diagram of like for like normally you start to see some like improvement, but often you get like a step back, which is that yeah. there's there's this kind of um and again it's going up the the, the sort of conscious competence um mm. you know, quadrants, but there's a there's a flight point where you start to think was this the right thing to do right and that's where people sometimes give up and that's you know what I mentioned you know that's when sometimes people give up because it feels like it's getting worse before it gets better but you've got to move through that difficult phase to get onto the other side yeah hey look Alison it's Mm. been amazing like chatting today thank Thank you so much and like thank you for uh giving us your your wisdom in uh in in the workshop culture the book so um yeah so you know I guess to summarize, like be the change agent you want to see and try to look up and see the, the greater whole, like the, the system and that you're part of the system, I think is such a powerful message. Um, don't give up and hope you feel like you can get out there and um, create a workshop culture in your business. Um, finally, yeah, thank you for everyone listening. And thank you, Alison. Like so nice to uh, to, Thanks, to see James. you again and to, yeah. uh, to, to meet you on here. So thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. Thank you. No, that's brilliant. And I hope everyone feels slightly wiser this Wednesday as a result. So <laughs> cheers all. Take care. Bye.